Let's go to God's Word, Hebrews chapter 11, as we continue our our journey through this amazing book and this amazing chapter. Hebrews 11, verse 20 to 22 this morning. Verse 20 to 22. Let's hear the word of the Lord. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our great and glorious triune God. We have the privilege of uniting together this morning, worshiping you, gathering around your word to be fed by the work of your spirit in us. So I pray, Father, that you would speak, you would teach us from your word. You would help us to see Christ through these amazing men of faith, through how you work through them, even in the face of death. And Father, I pray that you would give us strength and faith to trust you, no matter what we may be facing, no matter what may come. Help us, Father, endure in faith to the end. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You are going to die. Sure of it. Hope that didn't surprise anyone this morning. I want to talk about death today. If you're uncomfortable with that, please don't tune me out. Maybe you need to hear this the most. Death is something we all must face in this fallen world. And even though that's true and the effects of death are all around us, we live in a world that wants to pretend as if death doesn't even exist. All right, we laugh at it, we mock it, we put skeletons and tombstones on our lawns at Halloween as if it's funny. Or entertaining. We ignore death. We, we trivialize it. We just call it yin and yang or, or the circle of life. Or we just say, you know what? It's just a normal, natural part of life. It's not a tragedy. It's just a normal part of life. And in fact, when we're faced with death, even at funerals, we're going to forget about the, the, the body, the dead body that's right in front of us and just talk about good memories. We're just going to celebrate life. And no matter what, there's one question that you can absolutely not ask in our culture. And that's this. Why does this tragedy even happen? Why do people even die in the first place? You see, for Christians, we not only have an answer to that question, we have the solution to death itself. We can actually recognize that death is a horrible tragedy. It's not normal. It's not the way it should be, because death is actually the penalty for sin in this world. As Romans says, the wages of sin is death. But the good news is that because of Christ and His perfect life, death, and resurrection, He has put death to death. And even though the wages of sin may be death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as believers united to Christ by faith, 
we don't have to trivialize death. We don't have to ignore it or excuse it away. We can actually face death without fear. We can face death with boldness, with peace, and even with faith. And that's actually what we're talking about today. That's what Hebrews 11 will help us do this morning. It's been telling us over and over again to endure in faith. But this morning we're going to talk about enduring in faith to the end. We've seen many examples of this already, haven't we, in 11? Uh, Hebrews 11, we've seen Abel and Enoch. And lately we've been talking a lot about Noah. And his amazing life of faith, trusting God and obeying God in the middle of trials and difficulties and uncertainties and many tests. But I hope you noticed already there's one thing missing so far. There's one trial that's barely been mentioned. And that's the trial of death. That's the the trial that the original audiences were facing on a daily basis because of persecution. That's the, the trial that our world is terrified of right now while we're even in these lockdowns because of our fear of death. And you may have noticed these three men, these three examples, there is one focus they all have in common. Do you notice that? There's one thread that runs through all their lives in these pictures that Hebrews is giving us. And that's this focus on the end of their life. On their faith in the face of death. Now you have to admit, that's kind of a weird thing for these men. Because if you know their stories well, and you you read their stories in Genesis, when you read through their lives and you get to the end of their life, you wouldn't see the end of their life standing out as these shining examples of faith. Especially for Isaac, as we'll see. In fact, I can think of a lot better examples of faith in each of their lives. Jason preached last week on Abraham and Isaac and Mount Moriah, right? Isaac submitting to his father by faith to pretty much get to the point where he is going to be sacrificed by Abraham. Or how about Jacob wrestling all through the night to receive the blessing? Tremendous act of faith, right? And Joseph, I mean, come on. (laughs) Joseph lived a life of faith through unjust persecution, imprisonment, faith to refuse Potiphar's wife's advances, and faith to forgive his brothers even in his last days. So why in the world would Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews, not point any of those things out? Why would he focus just on the end of their lives? Well, I think one of the reasons is because of what he already said. Look at verse 13. A few weeks ago we, we talked about this, and I believe he's expanding on this idea. 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And so now he's given us examples of how these men, these descendants of Abraham, endured and had faith to the end. How they died in faith. But I also believe that the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage us. That's what this book was written for, right? To encourage the Christians that were reading it then and us as well to face death without fear. In the very next chapter, he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. The implication there is that if you follow Jesus, if you continue down this path, it may cost you your life. So how do we endure with that shadow of death hanging over us? How do we endure by faith to the end? Well, I hope this won't come as a a surprise to you, a shocker. But we endure by faith to the end by trusting in the promises of God. 
I hope you've seen that loud and clear every week, right? Romans, or excuse me, Hebrews 11, over and over again. Endure in faith by trusting in the promises of God. And we're going to see that through these three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And each of them at the end of their life have a unique story to tell about how to endure in faith to the end. And so in Isaac's case, we'll see a repentant faith. Jacob will have a worshipful faith. And Joseph will see an encouraging faith. So that's what we'll talk about with these three men today. So let's get back into verse 20 as we see Isaac's example of repentant faith. Verse 20, Hebrews 11. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, this is referring to a story in Genesis. So keep your finger in Hebrews. Turn back to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. This is kind of an infamous story if you want to characterize it that way. It's one of those stories you would not expect to be in the hall of faith. In fact, if I were Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob and Esau, I wish that this would have been in those 400 years of silence. I right? um, wish that this wouldn't have ended up in the Bible at all because it gets ugly. Um, the story starts in Genesis 27 uh, with old man Isaac. Old, Isaac's old, feeble. He's basically blind at the end of his life. He calls in Esau and says, Esau, I want you to come in. I'm going to say goodbye. I'm gonna, um, I want you to go out and, and cook me my favorite game. Go hunt, go do what you do best. Bring me my favorite meal. We'll have some father-son bonding time. But then he says something that's shocking. He says, Esau, I'm going to give you the family blessing. And at first you're like, well, that's not that big a deal. He's the oldest, firstborn. That makes sense. The problem is God has already made it abundantly clear to this family that Jacob, the younger son, was to receive the blessing. He was to receive these covenant promises. And so at the end of his life, Isaac was planning to rebel against God. To go against the will of God hardly seems like an example of faith, right? Well, don't worry, it gets worse. Um, We see all kinds of details going on through this story, and the the thing that happens when he says he's going to bless his son, Rebecca hears this. She's eavesdropping, and here's what's going to happen. And instead of confronting her husband, calling him out for what he's doing, she says, you know what? I'm going to come up with a plan of my own. Jacob, her favorite, said, Jacob, I want you to come in, and we're going to steal the blessing. I'm going to put goat skins on your arm, because apparently Esau was this hairy beast um, of a man. And, and you're going to wear Esau's old, kind of stinking hunting clothes and smell like Esau. I'm going to give you a plate of your dad's favorite meal. You just go in and steal the blessing. Right? You thought your family was bad, right? Had troubles. These people of God are a mess at times. And even Jacob, I mean, Jacob's not a stand-up guy, but Jacob at this point is like, Mom, I don't know about this. I, I don't know. And Rebecca says, look, if you get cursed, I'll take the curse. And so Jacob does it. He comes in, brings his dad the food, and says, Dad, I'm, I'm ready for my blessing. Isaac says, you don't sound like Esau. Come over here. And he touches his arm, hairy like Esau. He (laughs) smells him. He's like, ah, it's Esau. (laughs) Um, Isn't it funny how parents can identify their children by their smells? (laughs) That was certainly true at our house at times. Isaac knows, thinks it's Esau, and he proceeds to bless the wrong son. 
who he thinks is the wrong son in rebellion, but it's really Jacob. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 28 with this blessing that he gives, which he thinks is to Esau. Look at verse 28 with me in chapter 27 of Genesis. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now you might notice there's little hints of the Abrahamic promise in there, right? Especially at the end. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. That's right in the middle of Genesis uh, chapter 12. The problem, though, is that Isaac doesn't mention the land, doesn't mention the offspring. He, he kind of mentions the nation, but not really. And the shocking part is he barely talks about God. Did you notice that? Barely says anything about God here. It's an interesting way to bless your son. It's almost like a greeting card type blessing here. Very vague. And it continues in verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? A little surprised Isaac didn't fall over a heart attack here. His old age. He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Dad, remember, I'm your favorite. I'm the one you were supposed to bless. And look at Isaac's response. Verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently. In fact, in Hebrew, it actually says he feared a great or terrible fear. That's his response. And said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him. Isaac's putting all the pieces together. He's he's cut to the heart. And God has actually beat him at his own game. God has given the blessing to Jacob anyway. And now Isaac... And his deception and his sin is on display. He trembles. He's afraid because he stands before a holy God, sinful in his last days. He's confronted in his sin. And what would he do? Look at the end of verse 33. It's amazing how he responds. After saying, I have blessed him, look what he says. Yes, and he, Jacob, shall be blessed. Amazingly, Isaac doesn't take the blessing back and say, no, no, I didn't really mean that. He doesn't get angry and fly off the handle like we might do. He doesn't shift blame and say, you deceived me. My wife even deceived me. It's her fault. It's that woman you gave me, Lord. Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't even blame God and make excuses. God, you should have been more clear. Right? You should have told me the promises in a way clearer fashion. No, Isaac repents. Isaac trusts in the will of God that he should have been trusting all along. 
and his response in repentance, his faith in repentance, is incredible. Look what he does, verse 39. He turns around and blesses Esau. He blesses Esau with the blessing Esau Esau should have gotten a long time ago. Listen to what it says, verse 39. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, that's Esau now, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you, Esau, the older brother, shall serve your brother, Jacob. Do you see the shift? The change in the blessing? The older will serve the younger, just as God said. Isaac has gone from rebellion against the will of God in his last days to faith, to trusting in his promises. And it actually gets better. Look at chapter 28, page over, verse 3. I love this. He doesn't just say, Jacob, I blessed you by accident. I blessed you in in sin. I blessed you in rebellion when I didn't know. Jacob, come back here and let me bless you in faith. Come back here and let me give you the blessing according to the will of God that you should receive. Look at verse 3 in chapter 28. Isaac tells Jacob, God Almighty. Going from barely even mentioning God's name to using this name that was given to Abraham when he received the covenant. The God that can do all his holy will, including work through sinful people like Isaac. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. That's the Abrahamic covenant. That you may become a company of peoples, a great nation. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you, Jacob and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. It's almost the Abrahamic covenant verbatim. Every element this time. Very clear, loud and clear from God Almighty and the God of Abraham. Isaac's trusting in the promises by faith. That's why Hebrews points this out. Turn back to Hebrews 11, verse 20. Hope your finger's still there. Hebrews 11, verse 20, this little bitty verse, look at how it describes this event. There at the end, Isaac blessed who? Jacob first, right? Jacob and Esau. See, Isaac's act of faith was to bless Jacob with the covenant blessing. To pass on the covenant blessing according to the will of God. At the end of his life, in the face of death, Isaac did not bless Jacob, in accordance with his will or his preferences. He didn't bless his sons even according to his own appetite or his own desires. He didn't bless his sons according to the practice of the day, the common practice of the day. Isaac trusted the Lord and blessed his sons according to God Almighty, according to the promises given to Abraham. You see, Isaac endured by faith to the end in repentance. In his last days, he was trusting in the promises of Abraham and the promised seed of Abraham to come, which is Jesus. Isaac trusted in the perfect life of Jesus Christ to replace his imperfect life. He trusted that Jesus would come to pay for the sins that Isaac just committed. 
Brothers and sisters, this is our only hope in the face of death. It's not our own righteousness. It's not our own ability to outthink or to figure out how to deal with our problems. It's not even our own ability to try to figure things out ourselves. Our only hope in the face of a holy God is repentance. To trust in the finished work of Christ like Isaac did. And that's why Isaac has a repentant faith. Let's look at Jacob's faith in chapter 11, verse 22. So we move on from repentant faith now to worshipful faith in verse 20. Uh, excuse me, 21. I said 22 earlier. Verse 21. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now this story is a few chapters later in Genesis. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 48. Again, we'll come back to Hebrews 11. Genesis 48, we get the end of Jacob's life. Now, if you know anything about Jacob, man, Jacob had a rough life. If anything, his life might be more characterized by rebellion and struggles than faith. Very few moments of godly faith. Even at the end of his life, when he finally meets Pharaoh, do you remember what he says? Few and evil have been my days. How would you like that on your tombstone? That's Jacob. But the amazing thing for the people of God, for the children of God, it doesn't matter how messy and ugly life can be. It matters who you're clinging to in the middle of that mess. And at the end of his life, Jacob is clinging to God. Look at verse 1 in chapter 48. 48, 1 actually starts with this little phrase, after this, right? Well, after what? What just happened? Well, the chapter before this, 47, uh, Jacob calls Joseph into the room and says, Joseph, you have to make a promise to me. You have to bury me in the promised land. We're in Egypt now, right? We were brought over to Egypt to escape this famine, but Joseph, take my body home. That's where I belong with my forefathers. Promise that you will do that. Trust in the promises, Joseph. And Joseph does trust in the promises. And how does Jacob respond to that in 47? He worships, leaning over his staff. Old man Jacob, at the end of his life, with what strength he has left, he worships God. And in verse 1 of chapter 48, he continues to worship. 48.1 says, After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, And it was told to Jacob, your son, Joseph, has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. This, again, this posture of worship. He's trying to sit up to bless his sons. Continuing the worship that was started in 47. Verse 3. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. In the land of Canaan he blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. There's the promise again. And I will make you a company of peoples, a great nation. And I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Once again, Jacob at the end of his life is doing what? He's rehearsing the covenant to himself. He's actually rehearsing his testimony, reflecting on the faithfulness of God to bless him through Isaac, and to appear to bless him in the promised land before they even went to Egypt. He's worshiping God here. And as he's worshiping God, look what he does. Verse 5. 
And now your two sons, who were born to you, that's Joseph, in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, your two sons, Joseph, are mine. What? Did Jacob just steal his sons? That's what it sounds like. Your two sons are mine. Look what it says. Ephraim and Manasseh, that's Joseph's sons, they shall be mine. What in the world is going on here? He's taking his grandkids saying, nope, they're mine now. Why is that? Look what it says. They shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. If you remember, Reuben and Simeon were Jacob's oldest sons. And what Jacob's doing here is saying, look, Reuben and Simeon are my oldest. They should receive the blessing, right? That's the common practice, but that's not the way we're going to do it. Joseph, I'm going to treat you as my oldest son. In fact, you are going to receive the double blessing, the double portion. You are going to receive the blessing of the firstborn, and I'm going to make your two kids two separate tribes in Israel. That's what he's doing here. That's why we don't have a tribe of Joseph, right? We have a tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. So by faith at the end of his life, Jacob takes these two boys, his grandkids, makes them his own so that they can inherit the covenant promises. Now you're thinking probably like, wait, hold on. These are his grandkids, right? They're his grandkids. They already are part of the covenant family of God. Why go to all this trouble? Why bring them in in this fashion, in this dramatic way? And why in the world does Hebrews only talk about these boys? Didn't Jacob bless all of his sons? He did, right? He blessed all of his sons. In fact, go back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 20. This is the shocker of this verse. Excuse me, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons? No. Each of the sons of Joseph. He doesn't mention Reuben or Simeon. He doesn't even mention Judah. Do you remember Judah, the, the one where the Messiah would come through his line? Seems like that would be a pretty big act of faith, right? So why does he focus on Joseph's sons? Well, one, we have to remember what the rest of this verse says. He blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This was an expression of worship for Jacob. As he's worshiping God, reflecting on God's faithfulness, he turns his attention to Joseph and says, I'm going to worship God by recognizing what God did through Joseph. That Joseph, by the sovereign hand of God and some sinful acts of even my own family, through Joseph, Israel was saved. Brought to Egypt, avoiding this famine. I'm going to recognize and bless Joseph because of all that God did in this posture of worship. I think that's one thing he's doing. I think the other thing that Jacob is doing here is he's narrowing in his focus on these two boys. He's trying to teach these two boys who to worship. He's trying to tell these two boys that their inheritance isn't in Egypt. If you remember, these these boys were born in Egypt. They haven't seen the promised land. They've heard stories, but they're living in the land of pagan gods and false gods everywhere. But they have such a greater inheritance. And at the end of their lives, because of Joseph, they will have power and money and fame. Joseph is famous in Egypt. But what Jacob is trying to say here is, look, none of that, none of your inheritance in Egypt will compare to the inheritance in the family of God. You have a far greater country than Egypt. 
You have a far greater people than the people of Egypt. You have a far greater king and offspring coming who won't just save his people from famine as your dad did. But that offspring of Abraham will save his people from their sin. Jacob is telling these two boys, trust in the Messiah. Christ is your inheritance. Christ is your hope. Worship Him like I am worshiping Him now. Trust in Him. Trust in these promises. Don't make your home in Egypt. Oh, there's so much we can learn from Jacob's worshipful faith, isn't there? If I can press into one area, maybe it's just this. What kind of faith will you leave behind? Will it be faith in yourself? Faith in your stuff? Faith faith in your nation? Faith in your family? Or will it be faith that endures because it rests on the God who is faithful? See, the faith we build now is what we will cling to in the last day. What you worship now, the practice of worship that you have now, will reveal what you will worship in the last day. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jacob and Jesus are both saying, don't live for this world. Don't live for this kingdom. You're still in exile. You're not home yet. Just like they were in Egypt. Don't worship the things of this world. Worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So we've seen Isaac's repentant faith, Jacob's worshipful faith. And last, let's talk about Joseph briefly and his encouraging faith. In verse 22 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now this may sound a lot like Jacob's story, right? Make sure, don't forget, bury me in the promised land. There's so much more going on here. In fact, turn to Genesis chapter 50. The very last chapter of the book of Genesis. And what's incredible about Joseph is as much as he's the focus in Genesis, especially at the end, tons of chapters on Joseph. We actually don't know much about most of his life. Did you know that? All that we know of Joseph happens within the first 50 years of his life. He lives to be 110. So for 60 years, we have nothing. We have nothing about this great man of God, except for this one little footnote at the end of Genesis, at the end of Joseph's life. And what we see is incredible. The man who endured by faith through so much, in the face of death, is still enduring by faith to the end. Look at verse 22. 22, Genesis 22. Or excuse me, chapter 50, verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. That's a little a tip that God is already keeping His promises. They're not a great nation yet, but they're growing. Verse 24. 
And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. What's Joseph talking about there? He's talking about the Exodus, isn't he? The Exodus, bringing the people out of Egypt. How in the world did Joseph know that was going to happen? That doesn't happen for hundreds of years after this point. How did Joseph figure that out? Was it just a prophetic utterance? Well, partly, but Jacob was also told that this would happen. In Exodus 46, you don't have to turn there, God told Jacob this. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. And I myself, Jacob, will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. So Joseph, at the end of his life, is still trusting in the promises of God. This just, it's, it blows me away. Joseph, he hasn't been in Canaan since he was a teenager, right? That's when he was sold into slavery, when he was a, a little kid, pretty much, right? He's now 110 years old. He hasn't seen the promised land in 90 years. Anybody lived in Bakersfield for 90 years? No, right? Your, your lungs would be black, so no. If you had lived in Bakersfield for 90 years, wouldn't you call it home? Joseph lived in Egypt for 90 years, and it's still not home to him. He's saying, look, at the end of his life, guys, get ready, we're moving back home. After more than 90 years in exile, holding on to these promises that the God who promised is faithful, even though he had zero evidence of it. Hundreds of years from, exi- from the exodus. All he had was a couple grandkids to hold on to. No external evidence that God would fulfill this promise, but Joseph trusts him. Maybe that's exactly where you are right now. I have no external evidence that my pain will ever go away. That my sorrow will ever cease. That these lockdowns will ever end. Where's my hope when there's no evidence that God will keep His promises? Well, it's in the God who promised. It's as Joseph is saying here, look, I don't know how, and I don't know when, but my God keeps His word. And so he continues to bless his family. Look at verse 25. Look what Joseph says. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Now Joseph's not saying what Jacob said. Look, guys, take a field trip. Go to the promised land. Bury me and come back to Egypt. Joseph is so sure that the exodus will happen that he says, you know what? Hang on to my bones to remember that God will keep his promise. Hang on to my bones to remind you of God's faithfulness. I love what John Calvin says about this. Listen to what he says. When Joseph gave this instruction, he was not thinking about himself as if it really mattered where his bones were buried. But he wanted to sharpen the desire of his people so that they would look more earnestly for their redemption. He wanted to give them a sacrament, as it were, and say, our forefather Joseph had a great confidence that God would establish his people in this land, which is a type of the ultimate land which God destined for his people. And as they saw the bones of Joseph, they would see the testimony of a man who believed God. 
and whose bones will be saying to them over and over, trust the God of covenant faithfulness. Joseph at the end of his life wasn't content on enduring by faith alone. He wanted his brothers and sisters to trust in the promises as well. And how crazy is it in the land of Egypt where pharaohs would build monuments to their greatness and bury themselves with all their stuff. Joseph says, hold on to my bones in the shadow of their greatness so you remember God's greatness. Because that's all that matters. See, at the end of the day, Joseph's faith was an encouraging faith. He looked to a greater country, a greater people, a greater offspring. He looked ahead to God's deliverance. His bones preached that God will save. He looked all the way to Christ and he desired his brothers and sisters would look all the way to the Messiah to come. Look at the very last verse. Very last verse in Genesis. Genesis 26. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him to keep his bones. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. See that word coffin? That could also be translated ark. The last words in the book of Genesis are, there is an ark in Egypt. Almost as if to say, God, we're ready to go home. Reminding his people, God, as you saved Noah through the ark in the past, take this ark, Joseph's bones, and lead us home. 300 years pass. I don't think it's a coincidence. The the very next page in your Bible is all it takes to get to the next 300 years. But in the first chapter of Exodus, we learn that there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Egypt forgot Joseph. What about the Israelites? They're crying out to God to fulfill their promises. After 300 years, how are they still able to remember? They had Joseph's bones. They were encouraged by Joseph's faith for hundreds of years. Oh, don't you want a faith like that? Especially at the end? Don't you want to encourage your brothers and sisters to trust in Christ as you are at the end? Well, how do we do that? We don't do it because we have such great faith. We do it by looking to the one that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph look to. As they look forward, we look back. Especially this time of year as we look to when Jesus was born in His perfect life, death, and resurrection. We look to the one that endured by faith to the end. We look to the one who worshipped God even at the end saying, not not my will, but your will be done, Father. We look to the one who encouraged his people with an eternal hope. As First Peter says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Brothers and sisters, trust the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. Fix your eyes on Jesus as they did. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for these men of faith who often didn't exhibit perfect faith. But through their faith, God, You used them to do great things. 
Father, those acts of faith, even in themselves, were a gift from you. It's all of grace at the end of the day. So, Father, we pray that you would graciously give us faith. Give us boldness to repent, to trust in Christ, to worship you in the face of death and suffering, and to be bold and encourage others to worship you as well by looking to Jesus. Father, help us faithfully do that to the end. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.